me one in your Bibles this morning. I'm going to bring a sermon today outside of our Back to the Basics series. A sermon that fits in line with Youth Day here at our church. And so I'm going to both talk to the children and their parents, and not just the parents, but everybody, everyone uh, who is in the room, this message will be applicable uh, because we all, whether directly or indirectly, have something to do with raising the next generation. Parents, grandparents, mentor, by the very way you live your life, even if you are a single adult, you, you are leaving some sort of mark on the generation to come. We all must do our part to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to help uh, these uh, young folks make it. Uh, Times have never been tougher to be a child in America. There is an assault on our children like there's never been. An assault on their morality, an assault on their, uh, their understanding of what's right and wrong, uh, they, they get it on every front, and we must do our part to help turn the tide and give them a fighting chance to be fine young men and young women one day that march this country in the direction, and our church in the direction it needs to go. Let's stand this morning. Matthew 21, we'll read from verse 12 down through verse 17. The context here of the passage is that Jesus has uh, uh, triumphantly ridden into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Uh, th- that day is known as Palm Sunday, historically. And uh, after he got through march, riding in on the donkey and having the palm branches laid in the road and everyone singing Hosanna to the highest, he uh, walks into the temple, and that's where we find him right here, walking into the temple right after uh, coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Look at verse 12 with me. We'll read, uh, we'll read responsibly down through verse 17. And so I'll begin in verse 12. We'll read verses 13, 15, and 17 out loud together. I'll begin in verse 12 alone. The Bible says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Together, verse 13, And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, And the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were sore displeased. And said unto unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye not read? And this is a quotation from Psalm chapter 8. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. The title of the sermon this morning is simply this, The Hope for America. The Hope for America. Let's pray. Lord, help me to convey exactly what I believe it is you laid on my heart uh, back in the study. And I pray the sermon would not just uh, uh, infect the head, but Lord, would uh, inspire the heart. And Lord, may we leave here today determined to do our part to help these children, to help uh, bring revival to this country. Lord, to carry on the, uh, the baton of this church and its future, not just this church, but churches like it all around the globe. Lord, maybe from this group in front of me, these children in front of me, come uh, pastors and missionaries and full-time Christian servants and deacons and uh, uh, Sunday school teachers and choir directors and pianists and 
Lord, uh, uh, people that go into society and do their very best to help uh, uh, bring America back to a place of moral goodness. Help us today to hear the sermon and then, Lord, to leave and uh, live it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, ushers, I'm going to ask that you stay on your toes, and if anyone else slips in, that you be ready to help them to find a seat. And so maybe even some of the, the men, regular men of our church, if you could help me with that, whether or not you ushered this morning, that would be great. The title of the sermon and the image on the screen in front of you contain many of the things that are dear to me as a person. Dear to me as a person. Up there you have a boy representing tomorrow, the adults of tomorrow. You have a Bible in his hand. I love the song they sing. I love the old book. The Bible is such an important part of my life. I hope it is as a part of your life too. You're here today. I would say that is an indication that that is true. The, the American flag. I love America. I love America. I love um, what she has stood for for centuries. I love who she is today, mostly. I love our country, and I'm thankful for it. But I am uh, a little bit terrified in the direction that our country is going right now. Children, let me just speak to you for a minute. If all the boys and girls could sit up straight and tall, look right up here at me. I want to speak to you for a minute. I remember, not that long ago, I know it looks like it was a long time ago, but not that long ago, I sat in church, and I was your age, and I would hear somebody say what I'm about to say, and I thought, no, it can't be, and I have to tell you, it's true. Here's what they would say. They would say this, they would say to the church, look at these kids. Look at these kids. We've got to raise them right. Because they are the future leaders of the church. They are the future leaders of our town. They are the future leaders of our state. They are the future police officers and firefighters. They are the future presidents and legislatures. Those would be the ones with the lowest IQ in the room. I'm just teasing, just teasing. It's easy to pick on politicians, amen? Um, you all, sitting in front of me today, you are the church's future Sunday school teachers. You are the church's future bus captains. You are the church's future choir members. How many of you enjoyed singing in the choir this morning? You know what? One day, when you're a teenager, as we let teenagers sing in the choir, you get to go up there and do that all the time. You get to do that for the rest of your life. You are the future ushers. You are the future soul winners. You are the future uh, uh, lay People that just that work a job and attend church and give their heart to the church, business owners, and some of you prayerfully will be the future pastors and missionaries of tomorrow. God does not call every child to be 
in full-time Christian ministry. But some of you in here today, God very well may call to do that. If you don't give your heart to Jesus and love His church, you listen to me, children? If you don't give your heart to Jesus and love His church, then you tell me which boys and girls your age is going to do it. If you don't decide to love church with all your heart, you don't decide to love the Bible right here with all your soul, and you don't decide to give your mind to memorizing Scripture and give all your mind to it, then you tell me which boys and girls out there are going to do it. You see, there's a whole bunch of boys and girls today. They're not uh, in church. You know what they're doing? They're at home playing video games or they're walking around a store or they're on vacation. They're not going to church. They're not participating in a church service. And they never participate in a church service. And if if we're going to rely on them to love Jesus, then guess what? It's not going to happen. You all have to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You all have to know that the only way America is ever going to be what it ought to be is if you all will learn to love the Lord and love this country and lead this country to love Jesus. You say, but pastor, I am too young. I'm only six years old. Raise your hand if you're six years old. How about seven? How about eight? All right. How about nine? Ten. How many here are 11 years old? How many 12-year-olds? Okay. Put your hands down. I'm only 12 years old. I'm only six years old. Pastor, what can I do for God? Hey, uh, Paul wrote a, a letter to Timothy, who was a very young man, and he said this. He said, let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise thy youth. But... Be thou an example of the believers in word, in your lifestyle, conversation, in charity, how you love people, in your spirit or your attitude, in faith and in purity. You say, Pastor Lejeune, what can I do? I'm only a child. You can be an example to the adults sitting behind you on how a Christian is supposed to live. You can do that. You can be an inspiration to some people back there. You know what I hope? I hope some of those people sitting out there that are supposed to be in the choir that aren't, I hope they watch you sing up there and they think, you know what, I really ought to join the choir. I hope some of them uh, watch some of you boys usher and they think, you know, maybe I ought to do a little bit more than just show up to church on Sunday and sit on the pew. Maybe I ought to go to Brother Syrette, Deacon Syrette, and volunteer to be one of his ushers. And some of you in here uh, can serve as an inspiration in the way that you live your life. Don't let anybody despise your youth. And that includes you. Don't you even despise your own youth. Pastor, I can't do that. I can't because I'm just a child. No, there's all kinds of things you can do to serve the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in great depth here in a moment. The sermon this morning is to the adults as well about these children. However, each child in here can get a whole lot out of the message this morning, and I hope each one of you boys and girls will sit up straight and tall and listen intently to every word that's said, because you all are the ones that bring great hope to this country and can help change uh, what we have today. What is the hope of America? Better question, who is the hope of America? 
It's a new generation who grows up and chooses to love God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. They choose to love their neighbors as themselves. I believe that you children sitting in front of me this morning can bring great hope to this country. I believe that you adults can do your part to influence these children to be mighty arrows that pierce the darkness of sin and make an impact in this country that breathes one more breath of greatness into its lungs. And I'm not talking about political greatness. I'm talking about spiritual greatness. We're going to look at four very basic thoughts this morning about our children, our nation, and our respective responsibilities to breathe hope into America. Let's jump in here and notice, number one, our country. Our country. I'm curious, how many of you children in here really, really enjoy history? Would you raise your hand if you enjoy history? Keep them up for a moment. Raise them high. All right. Very good. Put them down. That's about half of them. How many of you adults in here really enjoy history? All right. How many of you didn't enjoy it when you were little and now you enjoy it now that you're big? All right. Uh, I've learned to love it. The more, the older and older I've gotten, I had a really good history teacher in high school that helped breathe that into me. And I got to tell you, I'm thankful for a Christian education that I had because it gave me a history standpoint from a, uh, a historical view of our country from a Christian worldview. I'm very thankful for that. And uh, there's no denying that America was founded as a Christian nation. In fact, Psalm chapter 33 and verse 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Proverbs 13, 14 says this, Righteousness exalteth or builds up a nation, but sin is a reproach or it tears down uh, any people. So what do we know? We know that America has become great, not because of its industry, not because of its transportation system, not because of its political setup. Those things have aided. Those things have been involved. But America was allowed to become great by God Almighty because America for centuries made God uh, its God and relied on the righteousness of the Bible to be its guiding light. Let me give you letter A here. It's foundation. It's foundation. Let's talk about America here uh, uh, for a moment. Now, the new world or really even uh, uh, just our continent as a whole, we'll, we'll, we'll start out from there and we'll work our way down to America here. The new world was settled by many people from Portugal, Spain, uh, 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 England, and uh, mainly it was the Englishmen that uh, came over here for the reason I'm about to state. The other two came over here to be get rich and, and for trade and that kind of thing. But the new world was settled by many Englishmen for the purpose of practicing Christianity without the punishment of the government. Did you know that if you lived way, way back in the 1400s and the 1500s and the 1600s, that you would not be allowed to go to a Baptist church? Not allowed. The state had a church and you were required to go or you got in big trouble. You were forced to go to not just church, but to their church. And you had to believe what they told you you had to believe. Now, what is that? You're going to take away my ability to choose what to believe? You're going to tell me what I have to believe? 
That's crazy. I, you, you, you know, that 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 uh, that takes away the, the free will uh, out of out of the picture. And what happened was that many of these people said, hey, listen, if you're going to force me to practice a particular religion, I'm not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to get in a boat and I'm going to go across the Atlantic Ocean and I'm going to land in this territory where nobody lives. And I'm going to risk being eaten by an animal or starvation or freezing to death in the cold. And I'm going to worship God how I think I ought to worship God. And much of America was settled, uh, much of the new world was settled by people who were trying to freely worship God. Now, that is the beginning, the roots of, of our country were these people, people such as the pilgrims who came over and decided they were going to worship God. People such as separatists who said, we're going to leave the church and we're going to go serve God and believe God the way we want to. Now, in the late 1700s, both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was written. And in both of those documents that are so critical to our country, both of those documents highlight and talk about, guess who? The God of the Bible. The God of Christianity. People say, well, America doesn't have uh, uh, its roots in, in, uh, in the Bible. I'd say, you haven't read our founding documents. You haven't walked around Washington, D.C. and looked at the walls that have Bible verses in the name of God etched into them from back in that time. You haven't walked into the Supreme Court where the Ten Commandments are etched into the wall and cannot be removed without major uh, uh, reconstruction there uh, or, or, or a major remodel. So our country was founded on the idea of the Bible, the Bible. And if there's any question about that, you can look at some of our founding fathers and their statements. John Adams said this. Listen to, the, listen to how extreme this would sound if a politician said this today. He was able to say this, and it was widely accepted. No one even raised an eyebrow. John Adams, our second president, said, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. He said this, What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? Benjamin Franklin who we don't know if he was even a Christian, but respected Christianity as many non-Christians back then did. He said this, As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the systems of morals and his religion as he left them to us and uh, are, are the best the world ever saw or is likely to ever see. Benjamin Franklin, one of the greatest founding fathers that we had did more probably than anyone else to help put our country uh, in place and hone it in and get it to be what it is. Our foundation, our country, it's foundation. We have a foundation like one's laid for a house. Our country was built on a foundation of Christianity. Let her be noticed its foes or its enemies, its foes. We live in a time where people, and I talked about this a little bit in my Sunday school class this morning, but people are trying to, to put chaos into our American system. Chaos. They're trying to tell us that it isn't just a man and a woman, that there's 93 different genders a person can choose. How many of you, if I could, if I could raise your parents or grandparents back from the dead and told them that we're having this argument today, they would shake their head and say, no way. 
How many of you, if I would have told you 20 years ago we were going to be having this debate, you would have said, that's crazy talk. Surely that's not true. But now we can't even figure out how many genders there are. I'm not sure if I'm a boy or a girl or if I'm one of these other 93 labels. You say, well, pastor, why are people doing that? Because they're trying to make our country filled with chaos. They go about trying to topple our Christian roots and rip us away from a, our Christian base. And anything that is against the Bible and the structure of the Bible, they want to push that on us. Evolution is true, not creation. Uh, it's very normal to have uh, uh, two mommies in a home raising you or two daddies in a home raising you. And i got to say that that goes against Scripture. It goes against the Word of God. And while what I'm saying today would be labeled as hate speech or would be labeled as, as uh, politically incorrect, I've got to tell you what the Bible says is true and it is what's best for us. Not only do we are we dealing with postmodern anarchists, but we're dealing with those pushing a sensual and godless agenda. That statement is meant for the parents. And I'll uh, take it a step further and say 99% of Hollywood and the media machine that turns out TV shows is turning out stuff that is anti your faith, anti the Bible, anti God, anti morality. And I got to tell you that you got to be very, 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 very careful what you allow on that TV screen in your house. We live in a day and age where the medicine is the answer to everything and it's drugs, 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 drugs. And it used to be that the street drug issue was really the only place where you'd find a drug addict. But in today's age and time, so many drugs and pills are prescribed to people that are hurting and that they addict these people to these things and it completely wrecks and ruins their lives. I'm not saying that it's wrong to take a pain pill in every case, but I'm telling you, if you've been prescribed pain kills, be careful, be careful. We're raising a bunch of children who parents don't know how to raise their children. And I'm going to step on some toes right here. Please understand that my intentions are right with this. But instead of taking your children and looking to get a diagnosis, let me back up and put a disclaimer on this. There are times where this is appropriate. There are times where this is appropriate. But too many parents don't know how to discipline their kids. So instead of disciplining their kids, they run to a doctor and they get a bottle and they just start sedating their children to make them behave. And I got to tell you that that is abuse. Now, there are instances where a child has an issue and needs to see a doctor and needs to be given medicine. And please understand that in some extreme cases, you may fall under that. And that's the, that's the case. But to, I, I got to say that I find it very interesting that right after Mr. Spock's book came out and spankings went like this, that the pill taking amongst children did this. The two are directly correlated. You can go back and look at it. And we have a drug industry being pushed on parents, and it is hindering our children, it is hurting our future, and i got to say it's time that parents and Christians start standing up to it and saying, I will not participate unless it is completely warranted. There are certain elements of our school systems out there, and I'm not going to throw out the whole public school system. 
There are good people that work in our public school systems. And there are people that are making a difference in our public school systems. And I know many of you have children in the public school. And I have to tell you that you, if you send your child to a public school, when that child gets home, you need to ask them what they learn in their classes. You need to be very careful to go through their curriculum. You need to be involved in what they're learning. And where secularist speech is being put in and paganistic type teachings and evolution and a sensual agenda is being put in, you need to sit down with your children and you need to make sure that you set the record straight. Because even much of those who write our textbooks for our school systems have a godless anarchist agenda in mind. And they are doing their best to hurt and ruin our Judeo-Christian faith. Much of the music industry today, much of most of the music industry today, is put out there to teach children rebellion, to teach children to hate authority, to teach children to glorify a drug lifestyle, a sensual lifestyle, and you say music has no morality to it, and I'd say you need to do your homework because nothing could be further from the truth. Much, uh, much immorality is pumped into our children's ears and into our own minds through the music industry. And today, I've got to say that I am waging war against the foes of this country and their evil agendas that they're putting out there to try to tear it down. And I'm going to look these agendas in the eye and say, you can't have my children. Keep your hands off. And I hope that the parents today, the adults in the room today, will stand up and say, you can't have these sweet children that sit up here in front. Keep your hands off our children. Keep your godless, wicked agendas out of their minds. Let us see. Let's look at our country and talk about its failing. It's failing. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep are gone astray. Watch this. I really do believe this. Let me get some of the children involved here. Let's see. Eli, go stand over there by the piano. Tyler, go stand over here by the microphone, by the baptistry. And uh, give me... Uh, Go over there. Uh, give me uh, you uh, from from uh, Colton down to Jasmine. You guys come up here. Kiara, you can come up too. All you come up here and stand in the middle with me. Stand right here, okay, and face that way. Stand right here and face that way. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Come 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 over this way uh, if you can a little bit. This over here represents what I'll call the 10% in America who are working hard to get America going in the right direction again, who can clear, see clearly that guy down there and what he's trying to accomplish and knows the evil agenda, and he is working hard uh, to, 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 to get America going in the right direction and churches going in the right direction. And then way down here on this end, sorry, buddy, I love you, Tyler, but you're representing the crowd who is the 10% who are... Well, call them the mad scientists trying to tear down the morality of this country. Uh, most of the country is not here, but a small percentage of it uh, uh, is. And then in the middle, you have the 80% of the country, and they're swallowing hook, line, and sinker what these people are feeding them. Now, because we're born sinners, we're born pointing this direction. And so we'll listen to music because it has a catchy beat or a catchy tune. And what Satan's doing is he's using a beat and a tune to pump into us all kinds of filth. Do you even know what the lyrics are of the music you listen to? You'll watch a TV show that's got a great cliffhanger in it. It's got an enjoyable theme to it. It's mostly good. 
And then Satan is slipping his sensual agenda in it and into your mind subliminally. And it's not only reaching you, but little eyeballs are watching the screen with you. You say, oh, I sent them to bed. Can they hear the TV in their room? Do you know that they're not getting out of bed and glancing around the corner at what you're watching? You say, well, I watch it on my cell phone. Do your kids never, ever look at your cell phone? On top of the damage you're doing to yourself, we are hurting these here. And this crowd here is hurting these crowd here. And i got to say, America is failing, not because that they're the mad scientists down here, but we are allowing this crowd down here, by and large, to lead us like innocent, dumb sheep this direction, and we're buying into everything they're selling, and we're shrugging our shoulders when it's preached again and saying, oh, it's not that bad. Yes, it is. And it's time we stand up and say, I'm not going to let the country that I love spiritually go down the tubes. Because I'm telling you, once our country goes down the tubes spiritually, it's just a matter of time that we lose our greatness all, all the way around. You all can be seated. It's failing. And that's where we're at as a country. We have a strong foundation. That foundation is beginning to develop some cracks as the foes have chiseled away at it. We're beginning to fall apart spiritually as a country. Number two. Notice our churches, our churches. On one end, you have our country, and on the other end, you have our churches. You have people in our country that's trying to tear it down, and our country is beginning to go the way of a moral despot. Over here, you have the churches that are supposed to help keep the country up and push it to be right and push it to be moral and push it to do well. Let's look at letter A, and let's talk about their purpose, their purpose. Let's talk about our churches and their purpose, both White Oak Baptist Church and every gospel preaching church all across the country. Let, let's uh, let's look at a few places in the Bible here. You're in Matthew. Turn over to Matthew chapter five. Hold your place where you're at there. Turn over to Matthew chapter five, and uh, let's uh, let's look at verse fifteen. And remember that Jesus here is giving his famous sermon on the mountain mount, and he's addressing his. Disciples. Well, who were the disciples? The disciples would have been the men he had called to follow him and all of the other people who he uh, were maybe second tier type disciples. This was not just the Jews at large. This was a group of people who would help begin the church era shortly after his death. And listen to what he says here. He, he tells us that the church is to be a light in a dark world. Look here. Uh, verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all those uh, that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men. So what is the church to be? The church is to shine as a bright light in a dark world. We know that the world is filled with sinners and sinners are going to sin and sin is represented by darkness and Christians ought to be that bright light. You get around a group of sinners, don't you take a bushel and camouflage your light. No, no, no. You let that light shine. Somebody in that crowd is going to see your light and say, hey, I want what you have. Oh, there will be others that don't like having a bright light put in their eyes while they live in the dark. And they'll cover your light and they'll make fun of your light. But you light that candle and you, we ought as church, we ought to be a light that shines in the dark world. Both, both individually and collectively. What else is the church to be? Its purpose. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to join you there in just a minute. Let me share this with you first. The church is to be filled with 
You listening? Peculiar people. Peculiar people. Now that doesn't mean that we wear thick glasses and we get a pencil protector. We have 25 pins in our pocket and we talk through our nose. That's not what that means. Peculiar people. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? We're supposed to be peculiar people? That word peculiar means weird or off. Well, hey, it's not my word. It's the Bible's word. While you're in Matthew 16, let me read for you Titus 2.14. The Bible says, Who gave himself, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good work. You know what that means? That means that we are living our life so differently from what the world uh, says, uh, how we ought to live our life, that people look at us and say, that guy is different. That lady is different. Uh, uh, the, the conversation around the work table or around the lunch table comes up at work and it has, or the, 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 the lunchroom at school and the conversations about the latest uh, hit show on HBO. I don't even know what it is anymore, but whatever it is. And you get deathly quiet because that's filled with language that you know Christians shouldn't use. And that's filled with scenes in it that Christians should not lay their eyes on. And everyone goes, hey, what's wrong with you, Smith? You don't have anything to add? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I guess I didn't, didn't catch that show. Well, you never watch any of this stuff. What, are you out of touch with culture? Well, we, well yeah, a little bit. I guess I am because I'm in touch with God's culture. And we're peculiar. That doesn't mean that we don't know how to articulate our speech and we don't know how to be kind and we don't know how to crack a joke and we don't know how to be friendly with people, but we are different in the way we live our lives. You're in Matthew 16, 18 there. The church is to be a light in a dark world. It's to be filled with peculiar people. The church is to be on offense against Satan's evil. Look at uh, verse 18. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now look at uh, what the church is supposed to do. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You say, Pastor, are you surprised that the world's gotten so evil? Nope. You know what the world's filled with? Sinners. You know what sinners do? They sin. And the further we get away from our Christian heritage, the more bold that sin becomes. You know what? I am not going to join in to that sin. I'm going to grab my spiritual sword and I'm going to fight against sin in this dark world so that these children here have a chance. Talking about the church's purpose. Let her be noticed the church's problems. Their problems. If you can, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 for me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to move quickly through this. and We're going to read the passage. I'm going to make a couple of comments. and I, I, A couple of things more in the sermon I really want to get to today. But the church is not free from problems. I want you to think broader than just White Oak Baptist Church. While I believe some of the problems I'll address today are present in some people at our church, the church as a whole, the gospel-preaching church as a whole, has become a place where, where, where Christianity has become very shallow at best. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse number 1. 
Here, Paul is talking to the pastor, uh, Pastor Timothy here, who's a young man. I charge thee, verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who's they? The churches. The churches will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables or stories, short stories. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make Full proof or seal up your ministry, uh, Timothy. What is he saying here? He's saying, hey, there's going to come a time when the average church will have a preacher who does nothing more than just give some inspirational talk, tell a couple of cute stories, make you feel good behind your ear, and then send you out the door, foo-foo you along to next week. Does that sound like maybe the church era of 2018 in the U.S. of A.? Hey, a sermon like this that I have in my Bible, Joel Olstein would never preach this sermon. He's not going to preach against sin. He's not going to talk about the problems in America. And God has called me and all the preachers in America who hold a Bible to preach the whole counsel of God. Every word of it. Every word of it. And what we need are churches who are going to take a stand for what's right. But it isn't just about the preacher. It isn't just about the preacher. The preacher sets the direction of the church, but the people make up the church. Turn over to Revelation 3, in verse number 14. And we find what I believe to be most churches and most church members in 2018. Look at Revelation chapter 3, and look with me in verse number 14. This is the seventh church that John is writing to in the uh, book of uh, Revelation here. This is a real church referenced many times in the New Testament. The church of Laodicea. And I've got to say, many churches in 2018 have church members that fit the profile of the church found in the city of Laodicea. It says here, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, or Jesus himself, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. You know what that means? You're not totally worldly, and you're not totally spiritual. Uh, and look here, you, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art either carnal or spiritual, cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, or somewhere in the middle, and neither cold nor hot, Jesus says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He said, you're not... You're not totally worldly. You're not totally spiritual. You want to be worldly on Monday and spiritual on Sunday. And God says, it makes me want to just spew you out of my mouth. Look there. Look at the verse number 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, materialistically set, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, spiritually bankrupt, I counsel thee to buy of me gold uh, tried in the fire, and that, uh, that, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, spiritual nakedness, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. He said, hey, get yourself in the Bible and read it and understand just how blind you have become by the culture around you. 
And I ask you today, church, White Oak Baptist Church, I ask today those listening online and those that are a part of other churches, are you someone that would fit well in the church of Laodicea? Are you carnal? Are your, are your habits that which don't please the Lord? Or are you zealously bought all the way in to the Lord Jesus Christ? Speaking of our churches, let's look at letter C. Let's look at their parents. Their parents. This is the sermon to the parents on Youth Day to help the youth. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3. Now remember the, the context of Paul writing to Timothy. Who was Timothy? He was a pastor. Pastoring a church. And Paul was writing this letter to Timothy about his church. So this isn't just talking about people in, cult, in the culture at large. This is talking about the church. Look at verse 1. This know also that in the last days. How many believe we're in the last days? Can I see your hand? You believe Jesus might come back at any moment, okay? So Paul tells us, uh, thank you, Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, there are going to be some characteristics about those who go to church. Look here. That in the last days, perilous times shall come. Look here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Children, this one's for you. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Sounds like the, the uh, LGBT movement going on, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Look at that verse 5. If there's any doubt that this is being written about uh, those who go to church, look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I could take my suit jacket off up here, and I could put it on a hanger and put it on a coat rack, and you'd say, I can see the arms of the jacket, I can see the back of the jacket, I can see the chest of the jacket. It has the form, but it doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the power till I put it on. We must give ourselves over to the Lord and say, it's not about me. It's not about my pride. It's not about loving myself. It's about me giving myself and allowing the Lord to put me on and then let the Lord do the work through me. Parents, can I speak to you plainly for a minute? Do these children stand a chance to be godly if you're not godly? Do these children stand a chance to lead our church and lead our country to spiritual revival if your heart's not set on fire for God? Boy, they're watching you. They're watching you. They're watching your actions. They're watching you read your Bible and pray. They're watching you be faithful to church. They're watching you work to become a better Christian. And parents, the goal here today isn't to try to talk you into being perfect. Because my wife and my children know I am far from perfect. If I gave them a microphone, we'd be here till three in the afternoon, and that would be the abbreviated version. They know all my mistakes, all my shortcomings. But what my children ought to be able to tell you, my wife ought to tell you, is that when I make a mistake, I'm quick to get on my knees and apologize to the Lord and apologize to them. And I'm working hard because He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. They're parents. Parents, I ask you this morning, are you going, not where are you in your walk with God, 
which direction are you headed? Number one, we looked at our country. Number two, our churches. Number three, let's talk about our children. Our children. Let's hop in here. Letter A, let's look at their capability. Go back to where we started this morning in Matthew chapter 21. Children, I really hope you'll sit up and listen especially close on this point. Because I'm going to talk about some children, both in the Bible and throughout history, that have done some incredibly wonderful things from a spiritual standpoint. You can accomplish so much more than just completing the next level of a video game. You can do so much more than just make an A on a test. You can do so much more than just make your bed every morning. There's so much more that you can accomplish if you really put your mind to it. I'm going to prove this to you from Scripture. Now, look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 16. These are the Pharisees, the scribes, the money changers in the temple. Jesus has just gone on, gone in with a whip and taken it and flipped the tables over and said, you guys are in here making money in a place that's supposed to be for worship. Not that they weren't allowed to sell things in there. They were taking scrawny animals and charging premium prices and pocketing the, the profit. And God looked at their greed and said, get out of here. Threw them out. He threw them out. And so Jesus throws them out. And look at what the children do. And the Pharisees said unto him, Hearest thou what these children say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye not read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Here's how I picture this. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the parents hear he's coming, and they're running the house, and they say, Mom, Dad, the Messiah is coming, Jesus is coming, we got to get to the street where he's coming down, and we got to praise him. And they go and they get palm trees off, off branches, and they, they show up there, and the children are leading the way, and they get there, and the parents are just kind of there watching the children. And he's coming in, and the children are laying the palm branches down the street saying, Hosanna to the Son of Highest. Well, the parents go their way, and the children, because they didn't live in 2018, were allowed to wander. More about that in a minute. And they make their way to the temple. And they watch Jesus walk in and flip over these tables. And instead of being like, can you believe he did that? They had the clarity of mind to see. And they praised him. When the adults couldn't see it, they saw it. They saw it. They were able to know who Jesus was and what he was doing when all of the adults were so skeptical and filled with rage and envy that they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. You know, the term revival means the bringing back to life or the breath that's much needed in a time of great uh, uh, dire circumstances or it's rain on a parched earth, this idea of being revived or brought back. And several times in the Bible, you find revivals, spiritual revivals, a spiritual awakening. And most of the time, a revival happened in the Bible. And most of the time, a revival has happened in history beyond the Bible. It has been not because of adults. It's been because of children. Children. You hear me, kids? Children bring about revivals. Children say, hey, I am, I, I just happen to believe that God can actually do something great through me, and I'm gonna give my heart to Jesus. How about, uh, how about, uh, Joshua? 
Joshua and the generation under 20 years of age, they looked up at their parents and they saw how skeptical and faithless they were. And they said, you know, we're not going to copy that model. We're going to believe. And boy, they marched in there, walked around the walls of Jericho. They blew the trumpet and the walls fell down. Walls fell down. They just said, hey, you can call us simple-minded, but we believe. And God did it. How about David? You know how old David was when he slung that rock up there and hit Goliath? Many biblical historians believe he was 14 years old. Just 14 years old. And he's in the valley fighting a guy that's almost 10 foot tall. Dropping him with a rock. And I've heard people say that David just slung it up there and God directed it. And that might be. But can I tell you another theory? That David had practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And David was such a sharp shooter that maybe God guided it a little bit, but God didn't have to do a whole lot of work because David had put the work in to being what God had wanted him to be. David knocked that giant over. And you know what happened? Spiritual revival swept Israel because of David's hard work and David's belief in God. Do I have an eight-year-old in here? Eight-year-old boy? You're eight? Come on up here, Tyler. This is Tyler... Um, uh, Holly, Tyler's, Tyler's eight years old. How many of you think that Tyler's probably qualified to be the mayor of Stratford? I'm trying to get our mayor to come here in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to take any shots at our mayor, okay? Um, Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Israel. Eight years old. You say, well, I mean, come on. It was, he, and look, for the first little bit, he was a figurehead and adults made decisions. But you know what Josiah did at eight years old? He began to seek the Lord. He began to seek the Lord. And while adults led the country politically, Josiah began to lead the country spiritually. And grown men began to do what was right. Because an eight-year-old boy who held the position of king said... I'm going to follow in the steps of my great-great-grandfather, David. And I'm going to do what's right. Thank you, Tyler. See, you got to play both today. You got to be the bad, bad scientist, and you got to be King Josiah. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3 says this. For in the eighth year of his reign, Josiah's reign, while he was yet young... So he's 16 at this point. He began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, so now he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And oh man, God brought revival to Israel because an eight-year-old decided at eight years old he was going to start pursuing God. The Bible says that Jeremiah, a whole book in the Bible is written after him, was quite young when he began to preach and prophesy in Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 6 says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, but for thou shalt go uh, uh, to all that I uh, shall s- send thee, and whoso, uh, whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Look, uh, kids, look up here at me. God's not looking for you to be uh, a big and strong. He's not looking for you to be uh, a well-spoken. He's looking for you to be available so he can speak through you. He used the donkey, didn't he? He can use you. He can use you. The question isn't, Are you capable? 
The question is, are you ready? Let me share some other things here briefly with you. In the church age, after Jesus went back to heaven, we find a man by the name of George Whitfield. He began to preach when he was only 21 years old. And in short order, he began to draw crowds of over 30,000 people who would come hear him preach. And, interesting fact, he had no amplification. There was no microphone. He would stand in a field and preach, and 30,000 people were able to hear him. In 1734, Jonathan Edwards began to preach to the youth of New England. One news article from that time read this. Listen, it said, It seemed to be a time of extraordinary dullness in religion. Sounds like kind of like today. Uh, uh, Winky Prattney writes in Revival, uh, uh, let's see, I had sin, I'm just going to change the word to sin because it's like nine syllables long. I had it down in my office, now I'm up in front of you, I'm frozen. Sin prevailed among the youth of the town. These uh, church kids ignored their parents, walked the streets and partied all night. When two young people died unexpectedly, some of Edward's sermons began to get through. The young rebels in that town began to trust Christ, and it became the Jesus movement or the church of its generation. But maybe the most impressive story I had to share with you is this one here. Kids, I hope you're listening closely. A movement known as the Welsh Revival began in 1904 when Evan Roberts, at the age of 26, said to his college principal, I keep hearing a voice that tells me I must go home to speak to our young people in my church. So uh, so began a sweeping revival in which 100,000 people were converted in five months throughout Wales because of the preaching to children and they're getting their hearts on fire for God. The revival seems to work especially among young people. It's form which is that of prayer, praise, and personal testimony, and its absence of method make it the most methodical expression of the emotions of young hearts aflame with the love of God. Uh, you look at your ch- children today and you say, well, what really can my child do? Your child can bring revival to America. So can mine and so can all of ours together. But we've got to believe that. That brings us to letter B, they're coddling. They're coddling. Parents, listen closely. How many of you here are familiar with the term lawnmower parenting? Anybody? What I'm about to describe to you is lawnmower parenting. This is the hovering over your children and chopping down every obstacle in their path. Not allowing your children to figure out life on their own. We've got an epidemic of it in America. Epidemic around the world where parents coddle their children. It's everywhere. Can I tell you, as a parent with two small children, I'm tempted to coddle mine. And I'm tempted to let my wife, who even is more tempted than me, to do it. But we've got to stop coddling these children. If parents are guilty of anything, it's putting a ceiling on these children's potential. We coddle them. We smother them. We prevent them from blossoming socially, academically, but most important, we prevent them from reaching any sort of spiritual mountaintop. We live in a society where children uh, must wear knee pads and helmets because we are afraid that they might get 
a scrape. We organize all of their playtime for them. We stand over them and fix every problem that, that they uh, have with every person who is ever unkind to them. They cannot learn how to develop on their own because we don't let them. Children today enter the adult world and they don't know how to function because mom and dad never allowed them a chance to fail at anything in life. A failed test? Teacher's fault, or it's the parent's fault for not helping the child to study. We don't know how to look our children in the eye anymore and say, you failed, get it right next time. We don't know how to do that. Oh, it's my fault because I didn't help them study enough. Or it's the teacher's fault because they didn't teach them the material right. No, no, no. How about you look your child in the eye and say, work at it and try harder next time. I know that's not a popular thing for me to say right now. But this needs to be said. So sit up straight and take your medicine. Amen. Negotiating skills, non-existent. Parents now sit in on work interviews. Or they go in and they work out the extra credit with the teacher on behalf of their child. How about you say to your child, you failed and you're not going to pass the class this year unless you go in and ask the teacher for extra credit yourself. Instead of hopping on your phone and texting the teacher for them. They're never going to develop negotiating skills because you're negotiating for them. And then they get to college and they don't know how to do anything. Colleges today are inundated with parental calls for their 22-year-old child because their 22-year-old child don't know how to work things out with a teacher. Um, One person told me that working at a Chick-fil-A, they corrected a 30-something-year-old adult man for doing something wrong. Later that afternoon, when the uh, the adult man got off of work, mom called to talk to the manager on behalf of that boy. (laughs) It's more prevalent than you think. How about problem solving for our children? Forget it. Mom stands over Skyler every time there is a conflict and fixes every issue for him. How about work ethic? Nah, parents rarely give their children any serious uh, uh, housework to do anymore. If we ask our children to clean the kitchen after a meal or do much more than take out the trash, they have their handout expecting to be paid or given some extra privilege for their hard work. How about you look at your child and say, go cut the lawn because you sleep here. How about you look at your daughter and say, you're going to wash the dishes after, after dinner because, because you helped make them dirty. Right? And I'm not going to give you an extra dollar in your allowance either. Or an extra hour on the PlayStation. Um, how about this one? Listen closely. Imaginational development. Never learned that either, did they? Cell phones, TV screens, video game systems, and structured recreational activity fill up every minute of every day for many of these children sitting down in front of me. For crying out loud, let your children ride down the road on a long uh, uh, a road trip and be bored. Let them learn how to deal with boredom. They're never going to develop their imagination if you keep saying, well, well here's my cell phone and, and don't watch anything bad on YouTube. Let them look out the window and imagine something for a little bit. Let them complain. You say, well, I don't want to hear them ask, uh, how long till we get there? Then threaten them. (laughs) Please hear what I'm about to say. Our children will never conquer a Goliath at 14 because they're too busy conquering Fortnite. 
or the next level of, of Minecraft or Mario Kart. Our children are never going to bring revival to this country. Never going to bring revival to this country. Uh, uh, because, uh, uh, our, rather, our children are never going to bring revival to this country unless they learn to deal with the reality of our broken world and its broken people at a very early age. Parents, I know it is your instinct to coddle and protect your child. And I'm not saying let them raise themselves. You need to be their coach by their side, helping to guide them and helping them to know and helping them through a traumatic situation at school or a, a, a fight they have with a friend or a breakup that they go through, uh, whatever that would be. You need to be there to coach them and guide them and help them. But you also need to let them learn how to deal with failure. You need to let them learn how to negotiate. You need to let them learn how how to develop an imagination and you need to back off and let them learn these things at a young age. We are in a spiritual battle with Satan and we must raise our children to be warriors. We must begin this process at an early age. Let her see their clarity, their clarity. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to glaze over this one here. Matthew 21, 12 through 17 is where we began. And uh, again, I mentioned this, the, 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 uh, the, the adults could not see who Jesus was, but the children could. Parents, look up here at me. All adults, look up here at me. If you're phony, they know. They see right through you. They see right through you. I love Jesus! I'm too tired to go to church this morning. You, you love Jesus? Or you love to rest? I love Jesus, but oh man, if I go to work on Sundays, I'm going to get this uh, extra bonus in my check, and I'm going to be able to upgrade my car. You, you, you love Jesus, or you love things? You better stop doing that, or else I'm going to... Five times later, after you've told them five more times, you still haven't punished them. They know. They know. They see right through you. They see right through you. They can see things we can't see. They're, perspective. they're, they're perceptive. They see it clearly. We've got a hard task in front of us. You know, a lot of the decisions I make, a lot of the decisions I make at home, I keep in mind I've got four little eyeballs looking up at Daddy. We've got to make sure we're not giving them a double standard. We're not doing things that are wrong. We're not doing things that are hypocritical. Number four, and lastly, notice our commitment. Our commitment. To the parents this morning, let me challenge you quickly with three things. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I won't linger. I'll be done in the next minute or two here. Deuteronomy 6. Mom and dad, other adults in the church that just have an indirect uh, impact on the children, the next generation, can I encourage you to memorize Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 12? Can I encourage you to try to live it? Can I encourage you to be zealous for the Lord, to give them a model of what to do? Yes, one day they might outshine you spiritually. I hope my children outshine me spiritually. But they need to see that we're giving our best effort. Look at verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Letter A, we must deepen 
our love for the Father. You say, Pastor, what can I do to help our children fix our country? Deepen your own love for the Father. Let her be. We must decide to remain faithful. Or rather, uh, decide to remain focused. Rem- decide to remain focused. Look at uh, verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, as, and, uh, and, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. The Bible needs to be everywhere. It needs to be in your conversation. It needs to be everywhere you go. It needs to be on the walls in your home. It needs to be uh, 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 in the car. Uh, There's nothing wrong with making it the backdrop to your cell phone screen. Make the Bible everywhere for your children and make it important to you. Focus on that which is right. Let her see. We must determine to be faithful. We must determine to be faithful. Verses 10 through 12, I won't read them, but they go on and talk about how that when your children one day inherit the promised land, they need to know, they need to know why it is they're there. Because that generation was faithful, was faithful. I'm going to finish the sermon with this statement. Here it is. I'm 34 years old. I've been in church Every week of my life, unless I was sick or too young to come as a, as a newborn. I have, I have gone from the nursery to the primaries to the juniors to the youth group off to college. And I have watched my peers in all those classes. Then I came back to church and I worked as a children's pastor and a youth pastor and now a senior pastor. Can I tell you what I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times? Children that are raised by parents who are casual toward church, never, ever, ever, ever become serious about God. None of them. I can't think of one instance in my 34 years of life where a set of parents were casual about church and that child grew up to be on fire for God. I really believe with all my heart that the answer to this country is not found in the White House, it's found at the church house. Can I get an amen right there if you believe that? then are you going to be faithful? Are you going to be focused? Are you going to do your part? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Children, you did a great job today with our service. In a moment, we're going to have one of them come up and close in prayer. We even have a child that's going to get baptized this morning who's made that decision. But how about you, parents? Are you doing your part to help raise the next generation? How about you, adult? You say, I don't have any children at home anymore. I've never had children. Are you doing your part to leave your mark? How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, the sermon today in some way challenged me to be better as I help raise these children and children like them so that America can have a spiritual hope once again. Pastor, there's something that was said today, some verse that was read, something that touched my heart and showed me an area I can improve in. Pastor, please pray for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? There's something I can do. How many here today say, Pastor, there was a time and day in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Here's my hand in testimony of that. That you, you just raise your hand. I know I'm going to heaven. I believed in Jesus. Is there one here today say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I don't really know where I would go. I'm not certain I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure I'd go to hell. I don't really know what's on the other side of eternity. 
If I do know it's there, I'm not certain where I'll go. Pastor, I'm just not sure. In the privacy of the moment, would you just raise your hand? And say, I just don't know where I go when I die. I would love to pray with you, pray over you, not call your name out or embarrass you, but just pray with you. Lord, I pray today you'd move in our hearts, help us to do our best to raise these children. And God, uh, they are the future of our country, of our church. May we do our part to raise them right. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. The piano's playing. I'd like to encourage you to come and kneel at the altar. Talk to the Lord. Maybe some of you parents want to come and get your children and kneel and pray with your children and ask uh, that God would help them to do what's right. Maybe some of you grandparents or adults want to come and pray for our country that God would do great things with it. You in there? Two in the same room? Okay. You got something in there to work, Brian? Yeah. Okay. All right. Can you hold that for me? And then I'm going to reach around you and get this here. Hold that. Ready to go, Charlotte? No, there's one other. You can be seated. Take your songbook. Turn to 449 as we await for the baptism. Turn to page 449. And we'll sing all four verses. 449. On verse 1. Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. Hold me, oh, fold me close to thy breast. Shelter me safe 
Number two. Nearer, still nearer, nothing I bring, not as an offering to Jesus my King, only my sinful, now contrite heart, grant me the cleansing thy blood doth impart, grant me the cleansing thy blood doth impart. Verse 3. Nearer, still nearer, Lord, to be thine. Sin with its follies I gladly resign. All of its pleasures, pomp and its pride, give me Jesus, my Lord crucified, give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. On the last, nearer, still nearer, while life shall All right, this is Charlotte Simpson. Charlotte has, uh, has had her two older brothers baptized, and her first brother, I hit his head back here. Her second brother, uh, the water was cold. So the water is warm, and I don't plan on hitting her head. So maybe this will be the, but we're so excited for Charlotte. We really, really are. And uh, Charlotte uh, has put her faith and trust. Well, let me ask you, Charlotte, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you? Yes, she has. So upon her public profession of faith in him, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. One more here. You ready, Juan? All right, here comes Juan. This is the young man that opened us in prayer this morning. You okay? All right. Juan, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you? Yes, he has. Okay. Upon your public profession of your faith in him, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Let's all stand and be dismissed.
We have uh, old-fashioned Sunday next week. Come dressed up. The auditorium will be all set. We're going to have some sing-alongs, some really exciting stuff going on. That's uh, 945 Sunday School, 1045 Church. We've got special things going on in both. So you want to be there for that. And then the following week, please hear me on this, is Community Sunday. We're going to be honoring our first responders. So invite any first responders you know. Make sure you're here that day. It's going to be a special day. Tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to preach a sermon that challenges the men of our church. There will be things for the ladies as well, but it really will challenge the men of our church. It will be one of the most important sermons I've preached since I've been here as the pastor. So please, please do your best to make every effort to be back out tonight. I promise you, you'll be glad you did. And I'm even going to say some things that are more controversial than what I said this morning. So if you want to hear that, you want to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. And so uh, that'll, that'll be great. Our teenagers are helping us run the service tonight. So you want to be here to witness that? That'll be great. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer tonight. Brother Owens, if you would, close us in prayer. Congratulations. I know. We've been, we've been waiting to do that, and all of a sudden, it's not an excuse, but it is. You're